Welcome to the Granary Church Podcast. We are happy you're here. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, mate. Love the way you're dressed. (laughs) We got the memo. No one else did. Good morning. So good to see you. He is risen. That's about half of you. That's interesting. That's um, something that I do with my good friend every year. He he texts me, he is risen, and I text back, he is risen indeed. I was just looking at it because I got in first this year and I, where is it? I said, he is risen. Three hours later he says, and finally so have I. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> he said, he is risen indeed, bro. So <laughs> that's something we share that's very, very precious to both of us, that the the, the the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead is just so important. Now, that, that whole thing, he has risen, he has risen indeed, is known as the Pascal greeting. Uh, Pascal just means Easter. And often in a lot of different traditions, Christian traditions right across the globe, the Pascal greeting is also accompanied by a threefold kiss. So we're going to do this again. Some people are worried, some people are excited. I think the, th- the threefold kiss, that I did, one on this cheek, one on this cheek, and one um, on the forehead, I think. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Oh, <laughs> I, I never like it because I'm always the one that sort of doesn't get kissed. I'm just saying, oh, I get missed out. Who wants a mouthful of hair, right, you know? Anyway, <laughs> and yeah, if you're a person who just who does Easter and Christmas, you come along because that's what you do. You come to church on Easter. That's brilliant. So glad that you're here. You're in a good place. It's good to be you today because you're in a great place with people who celebrate that. But maybe, maybe you're thinking, you know, uh, the person who invited me, you know, uh, Uncle Lou, he invited me to come to, um, come to church service today and uh, Uncle Lou... Is like his name. is a bit loopy. We get it. I just want to say Christians aren't a little bit loopy. They're incredibly loopy. Loopy. They're just like, they're crazy people. But maybe you're wondering why do we get excited about this particular day? Why, or if you're not, why should we get excited about Resurrection Sunday? And I just I want to suggest first of all that this day that we celebrate is the most important day on the Christian calendar. And I'll push it a little bit more. I want to say that it's the most important day on anybody's calendar. The fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead impacts the nations. It's changed our entire world. And so that's why I think we should be that passionate about it. Now, if you're sitting there and you've got, you're wondering about it and saying, well, hang on, what about Christmas? Isn't Christmas the most important day of the year? Don't you Christians don't you like celebrate Christmas, you know? Bells, lights, tinsel, the whole deal, you know? The fact that Jesus Christ has come, that God has come and manifested himself as, as a human, God in a bod, as some, some people say. Isn't that important? We, I mean, that's incredibly important. That's extremely important that we celebrate that. And you should. I celebrate it. My family celebrates it. This church celebrates it in extraordinary ways. That's a good thing to celebrate. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus never said, celebrate my birthday. Never told us to do that. He did say, celebrate the day that I died for you and rose again from the dead. He said, remember me. 
And that's what we celebrate. You say, well, what, what about Good Friday? Isn't Good Friday uh, super important? To which I'd say, absolutely. In fact, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, they're like two sides of a single coin. They cannot be separated. I mean, you cannot have a resurrection without a death. It makes sense, doesn't it? That Jesus died on the cross to, to save us from a fate worse than death, and that is eternity without him. That's even worse. And died on the cross to save, uh, to, to forgive our sins and to just to save us, so we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father and with Him. That's extremely important. But without a resurrection, there'd be no church. There'd be no Christians. We'd be all out in the lake doing something else. I'm from the lake, so maybe you wouldn't be in Newcastle. Maybe you're at the, beach, at the beaches. But here's the difference for me. Good Friday, as utterly vital as it is, and, and you can, as I said, you can't separate it from today. But on Good Friday, there were two other people who were crucified. In fact, down through history, when the Romans were in rule, thousands of people were crucified. Some historians say tens of thousands, others believe it's hundreds of thousands of people were crucified. And what we do know from history, that on one single day, 6,000 people were crucified. Horrendous. 6,000 people were crucified. And Romans used to line their highways and byways with rotting corpses on crosses as a sign to people who were using those highways. This is what happens if you want to kick over the traces with Rome. This is what can happen to anyone who dares to defy Rome. That's what could happen with you. And the bodies were left there as a sign. That's one of the anomalies straight up is that Jesus was taken down off the cross. They got permission from Pilate to take his body off the cross. That's interesting, isn't it? Straight up. that He wasn't left there to rot and to die. Jesus actually predicted that he would be buried. I don't know if you ever thought about that. He predicted that. He went ahead of everybody and said, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again from the dead. And so I've, uh, um, out of all the thousands of people who were crucified, only one came back from the dead. And that is why we celebrate today. Yeah? He is risen. Yeah. Stay alert. I might do it again. <laughs> If you're here this morning and go, you know what, I, I, I get it. Um, I understand that and I believe that Jesus was an actual historical figure. That's good. I, I believe that he was a good person, did some great teaching, interesting stuff. I believe uh, that he was crucified because history outside of the Bible says he was. Um, but I mean, risen from the dead? That's a little bit... A little bit of a stretch. That's a bridge too far for me to believe that he's actually risen from the dead because dead people don't come back to life, do they? So it's a bit hard for me to understand. Now, if, you, if you're feeling that this morning, I want to I suggest to you something. This is where it goes really quiet because people are going, what is this going to say here? I want to suggest that you're in really good company. If you don't believe that Jesus rose again from the dead... You're in great company because on the day that Jesus actually rose again from the dead, there wasn't a single believer. No one, no one was thinking that there was going to be an empty grave. They all expected a body. Certainly the Pharisees did. They expected that Jesus had died. They're sitting back rubbing their hands going, you beauty, we're done with him. We're not going to see him again. Now we can get on with Phariseeing. Pontius Pilate. 
He wasn't expecting to see nobody. He expected uh, to be a body in the grave and, and put two guards over the grave and say, protect it because the disciples might rob the grave because apparently he might come back from the dead. And then the two soldiers are going, really? We're guarding a dead body? That's probably what they're thinking. The women who go to the grave first thing in the morning, they're going laden down with spices to embalm a body. Right? They're ready. They're expecting to find a body and the disciples, no, there wasn't a single disciple standing outside the grave going, yeah, give me, give me five, five minutes, he'll be risen from the dead. Hang on a moment, you know, 10, 9. None of them are doing that. They're back in Jerusalem licking their wounds because they're thinking this person, we've invested three and a half years of our lives in, he's gone. It's, it's the end. Like what on earth do we do now? What was that all about? The Messiah, we believed he was the Messiah, but... They didn't believe he was the kind of Messiah that Jesus knew he was called to be and he was there to be. In fact, I love the way Andy Stanley puts it. Uh, he's an author and a pastor. He puts it this way. He says, nobody expected nobody. That's brilliant. I love that. Nobody expected nobody. They all expected there to be a body when they came back to the tomb and uh, they were caught out. They were caught out completely. So this morning, I don't know where you're at, and maybe you just find it a little bit too hard to believe that. So I want to look at two stories this morning that may reflect where you're at. Maybe you've come here today and you're thinking, you know, oh, yeah, I've made a decision for Christ at some stage, but, you know, I'm getting a bit jaded. I'm fraying at the edges a little bit. I'm just not sure, and I'm a bit kind of over stuff not working out for my life, and maybe you're a bit distressed, maybe a bit disappointed. Uh, maybe that's you this morning. I want to talk about a story briefly about that and then another story that you just go, you know what, I haven't even reached disappointed. I just don't believe. I disbelieve. Because both of those are found in stories following the resurrection. First one uh, is about two guys, two guys who uh, they were followers of Jesus. They'd been in Jerusalem. They had heard that the women had been to the grave. Even one of them had seen Jesus alive. The disciples checked out their story and they found an empty tomb, but still they didn't believe. And they said, oh, we're done. Well, they didn't say it. It's not in the scripture that they said they're done, but basically their actions said, we're going and doing something else. And they go from Jerusalem on a road to Emmaus, about 11 and a half case, right? So they, they go on this trip from Jerusalem to Emmaus and they're talking about what's going on and they're down, dejected. They're probably feeding each other. They're down in dejectedness. I don't know. It tends to happen, doesn't it? Misery loves company. But as they're walking along the road, Jesus joins them on the journey. He just sort of rocks up and joins them. Now, that's not unusual. That's a very common occurrence because it's dangerous to travel the roads alone. So very often they would travel in groups, just you know, safety in numbers. That's not unusual. What might be a little unusual is that they don't recognise him. So these are two people who knew Jesus, lived with Jesus, he ate, they saw the miracles, all that sort of stuff. They just didn't see him. Why? Don't know. Somehow... God stopped them from recognising. Maybe they're just so caught up in their grief and their disappointment and their disillusionment that they just can't see past that. And so they're walking along and Jesus joins them. I'm going to pick up the story when Jesus says to them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? He says, they stood still, their faces downcast. Maybe they're down like this and they can't see. I don't know. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? 
Jesus rather coyly says, what things? He wants to get it out of them. About Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, they reply, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. And here's the key, he says, but we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. What they thought was that this whole idea of redemption was that Jesus was going to be the new ruler and he was going to take them from under the tyranny of Rome and start a new era, a new season of rule for Israel. They'll get their, their whole nation back. And that's what I expected, what they expected the Messiah would do. Jesus had another whole agenda, didn't he? I'm thankful, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that he did because if it was just Israel then, wouldn't be us now. You see, their hope was gone. Their whole idea that this Jesus was going to redeem the nation was completely gone. It went in the death of Jesus. And the problem with that or the challenge with that is that hope is, in, is important. It's vital. Hope is the lifeblood of our soul. You take hope out of us. What have you got? It's like breath to our body. And that's what's happened to them. They're dejected. Maybe you feel a little bit like that. Maybe you had hope that maybe a relationship with Jesus or journeying with Jesus, whatever, however you want to describe it, maybe you'd hope that that would redeem something in your life. Maybe it would redeem a relationship. Maybe it would save a marriage. Maybe it would rescue you from a situation. Maybe it would vindicate you. Some sort of relationship that's gone pear-shaped. Whatever it is, whatever it might have been, it hasn't happened and so your hope is completely gone. They continue the conversation with the Jesus, talking about the women, talking about the disciples. And they stop for a meal. And Jesus actually, before that, he opens up the scriptures to them. He says, don't you get it? And he describes what had to happen for Jesus to go and die on the cross and then rise again from the dead. And even though they invite him into the meal, Jesus becomes the host of the meal. And he takes a piece of bread and he breaks the bread. And the second he does that, they go, oh my goodness, it's, it's Jesus. He disappears. Doesn't hang around for dessert. Just disappears. And they are so taken up. This fact that they have seen the risen Christ, even though it's nighttime. I don't know, we don't know if they finished the meal or not. They just got up and they went straight back to Jerusalem and found the disciples. And this is what they said. And this is why I think this, this whole Paschal greeting, this is where it comes from. I think it's 2,000 years old, not, not a few centuries old. They said, the Lord is risen indeed. They punctuate the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. Their hope is completely restored because the one in whom they put their hope is restored. He is risen from the dead. But maybe you're sitting there this morning and you go, okay, that's, that's about disappointment and I get it, and, but I'm, I just haven't even reached that point. I haven't journeyed far enough to be disappointed. I just don't believe. I just find it really, really hard to believe that Jesus, yes, yeah, he existed, but rising again from the dead is just too hard to believe. If that's you, if you're stuck in disbelief, and I say stuck because belief can actually move. 
it's okay. If you're stuck in disbelief, if you're stuck in doubt, then again, you're in good company. There was a guy called Thomas. You may have heard him as Doubting Thomas. Doubting uh, is not his first name. Um, that's a descriptor of his attitude when he heard that Jesus had risen from the dead. And I think, it, I think that's... I don't think that's fair, really. I mean, Thomas gets a bit of bad press because all of them doubted. All of them doubted, not just Thomas. Thomas just wasn't in the room when Jesus turned up with the other disciples. So it's right after that we pick up Thomas's story. It says, now Thomas, and his name is Didymus. Didymus is just the Greek name for Thomas, and it means twin. Uh, one of the twelve was not with the disciples, as we said, when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, because you remember Jesus had a spear thrust uh, through his side into the, into the heart sack and, and to prove that he was dead, <laughs> and he was certainly dead. He said, unless I see that, the hole in his side, he said, I still, I will not believe it. Pretty firm, isn't he? I will not believe it. I want you to think about Thomas for a moment. Thomas is, um, Thomas is a person who has spent three and a half years wandering around with Jesus. He's seen the miracles. He's seen the blind receive their sight. He's seen the deaf hear again. He's seen people with leprosy totally cleansed on the spot. He's seen Jesus feed thousands of people with a tiny meal. He's seen him walk on water and still the storm. He's seen at least three people be raised from the dead. In fact, just two weeks before, Thomas was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And this is, what I, I like, this is what I like about Thomas. Thomas is a courageous person. He's the only disciple who's mentioned in the story of Lazarus because Lazarus had died and Jesus said, oh, I've got to go back to Judea. And the disciples say to him, don't go back to Judea because the Pharisees tried to stone you last time you were there. Right? It's not a holiday. Right? They're trying to stone you. And Thomas says, let's go back and die with him. He's a person full of courage. Courage is not the issue. It's belief. So here's Thomas. He's seen the miracles. He's seen people raised from the dead. And he's heard more on more than three occasions that Jesus said, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be punished. I'm going to be whipped. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again from the dead. All that stuff. Now, and then on top of that, even though he's heard that, on top of that, Thomas's best friends, these disciples, there's 10 of them, Judas is taken his own life and there's Thomas and then there's the other 10, the 10 people that he shared life with for three years, 10 people that he's trusted his life with for, for three plus years, all say they've seen Jesus. All of them have a testimony, a story that they have met with the risen Lord. Now with all of that, Thomas still says, I still don't believe. Maybe some of you here this morning are in that position. Maybe you've even had some miracles happen in your life. Maybe you've, there's some things that happen, you go, well, I don't want to call it a miracle because it kind of puts some, you know, whatever around it. But I can't explain how, and you can fill in the gap. I can't explain how, how this person was here. I can't explain how I got the job. I can't explain where did the money come from? All of a sudden, 
Do you understand what I'm saying? You've had those experiences and yet you still don't take the next step. I said in the first service, uh, I had some people come into our church a number of years ago. And one guy came in, brought his wife and a couple of grown kids and um, got to know him. I said, oh, you know, tell us your story. What are you doing? And, you know, why are you here? And all sort of, you know, the usual things, just having a chat. And he said to me, um, well, I'm a miner and uh, I was in a mine and we had a cave-in. And while I was in the cave-in, I had a visitation from an angel. And the angel told me that I'd be all right and I would be rescued. And so that's why I'm here at church. God works in amazing ways, doesn't he? Incredible. Did I believe him? I actually did. You can do what you like with that. But he is on a journey. He was on a journey searching for God. Had another guy who was an old Vietnam vet. And he was coming back from Sydney to to Newcastle and his wife was driving and he said, pull over, pull over, pull over. They pulled over on the side of the highway coming back. He went, look at that. And in the clouds in the sky, there was a cross formed with the clouds, a perfect cross formed in the clouds lying on its side. And he was just gobsmacked at this cross. Now, did he see a cross? I think he did. I think he did. But on one sense... In one level, it it matters to him, but he's in there seeking Jesus. He wants to know. He's sharing it with everybody in the church. This is a guy who's usually usually pretty quiet and you won't get boo out of him. He's sharing it with every single person he comes alongside. God has used something to impact him, and maybe that's happened with you. Maybe you've had something and you just don't line it up with maybe God's trying to get your attention. That might be you this morning. I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Jesus didn't leave Thomas there, and he doesn't leave you and me there either. Jesus has you in his sights. Do you realize that? Jesus is pursuing you, not in a horrible way, in a beautiful way. He's pursuing you because he loves you. And he's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He's nuts about you. Why on earth would he die? And he pursues you as he, is, as he pursued Thomas and he pursued those guys on the Emmaus Walk. And so he comes to Thomas and says a week later, his disciples, his disciples of Jesus, were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, as you would hope, he would say, peace be with you. That's a bit spooky, isn't it? Someone just turns up. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus knew that Thomas, and he was very gracious about this. He knew that Thomas, he knew what Thomas needed. He knew that Thomas needed to see him in the flesh. He dealt with Thomas in that way. He dealt with the guys on the road to Emmaus differently. He just walked alongside them. When it came to a guy called the Apostle Paul, if you haven't heard of him, the Apostle Paul was a person who tried to stamp out the church. He tried to imprison and kill Christians until he became one. And then he started planting churches all around the Mediterranean rim. And, and Paul, was, his life was just flipped around because he was flipped off his horse when he saw a bright light. That was something different. He met the risen Christ. I have a different experience. You can talk to people. They all have a different experience. God is pursuing you And he wants to have a relationship with you and he will do it in the way that he wants to do it with you. It's always going to be a little bit different. 
And so here he's with Thomas and he just says, put your finger in the marks, the nail holes, and the mark on the side. And then he says this, and this is huge. For me, it's huge. He says, stop doubting and believe. Doesn't mince his words. Jesus just says, stop it. Stop doubting and believe. And I think one of the challenges that I have, just as a person, is that I tend to doubt my beliefs and I believe my doubts. Well, I don't know if you're the same. But something comes up that makes me doubt about, and it could be about anything, doubt about something, and all of a sudden I'm looking for ways that I can support my doubts over something I actually believed in. And Jesus says, doubt your doubts. Believe what you believe. Because I, think, I don't think doubt is a bad thing necessarily if it leads you to the right place. Doubt is like, it's just part of the journey. All of us have doubted. I've doubted, but it's part of the journey. And, and, and doubt is like you, you get to this particular point and there's two roads you can take, two roads you can choose. One is I doubt it, I'm going to carry my doubts and I'm going to prove that this is not true, that, that uh, I, I doubt that Jesus rose again from the dead and I'm just going to try and prove that it's not true. And if you look for, for ways and things and, you know, you can come up with a whole bunch of ideas as to why it's not true. Then there's the other way, which is I'm carrying my doubts, but I'm going to try and see if it is true. That's the road I suggest you take. If you've got doubts, and we've all had doubts, if you've got doubts, I'm going to suggest that you take that road and see if it is true. Years ago, I was was in a church down in Sydney. I was on a um, part of the team, part of a team of pastoral uh, capacity and I, my job was to look after services and um, and worship and so on and I was leading a service where we had a guest speaker and the guest speaker was a guy I didn't know who know him but um, I sure knew who he was when I when I was finished his name was Sir Lionel Lucku anyone heard of him nobody see isn't that interesting Nobody's heard of him. Sir Lionel Lucku, knighted twice by the Queen. Sir Lionel Lucku is, in the Guinness Book of Records, the most successful lawyer in history. And he practised as a lawyer in, in Guyana, I think it was, for many years. You can look it up and correct me if I got that wrong. But this guy had an experience of Jesus and later in life. He was 64 and he was a nominal Christian before that. He had an experience of Jesus at 64 that just turned his life upside down. So what he did is he devoted the rest of his life, I guess, really, to try and discover, using all the, the legal acumen that was at his fingertips, to try and find out, is the resurrection true? He spent years of study, years of research to see, is the resurrection true? And this is a statement he came up with. He said, I say unequivocally that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Sounds like legal speak, doesn't it? (laughs) You can just see him standing in front of a jury doing that sort of thing. But that's what he came up with. Absolutely no question. The guy who invited the preach on that day was, uh, was also a barrister, who's a mate of mine, and he said, he's, he was saying that if you get two or three witnesses in a courtroom 
who have seen somebody and they saw what they did and so on. He says, that's an open and shut case. But if you get 500, which is what Paul said there were, 500 people who saw Jesus before he died, knew that he died and was crucified and then saw him after that, he says, that's insane. You never get that. But that's what we have. So if you're on part of the journey, you're trying to find out information about, is it true, is it true, is it true? You might come up with the same conclusion, but here's what I think might be lurking in your soul a little bit. You want more than just information. You want transformation in your life. And you want to meet Jesus. You want to meet the risen Christ. You see, Sir Lionel Luck, who met Jesus in a powerful way before, made his discovery. My friend, the pastor who mentioned that, the ex-barrister, he said uh, the same thing. He met Jesus before he went on that journey. And as important as those sorts of things, they're kind of bumps in the road and they and that's called uh, apologetics, right, arguing for the faith. As good and important as that is, and it helps people get past hurdles and so on, you need to have a relationship with Jesus. I believe if you go down that road, not where you test those doubts, and you come through with a relationship with him, you meet Jesus on that journey. And you'll be able to say with Thomas, when Thomas saw Jesus, he said, my Lord and my God. That's his response. So this morning, I, I'm hoping I've been praying that, that you this morning, people who have been, who've come to the two services, that they move from this he is risen to he is risen indeed. He really has risen. That you be able to respond, my Lord and my God, as Thomas did, or you'll be able to respond as the other two people did. He is risen. Let me pray for you. Father, we want to thank you for the extraordinary gift of your love and your grace. We want to thank you that you pursue us and you seek us out, not that we're hiding, maybe we are hiding, but not that you have to look that hard, but as this is sense this intensity of love and grace and mercy and kindness and desire that you want to connect with us and have a relationship with us. And we want to say thank you, thank you, thank you that you rose again from the dead and we can celebrate that you have conquered death and so can we when we are connected intimately with you, Jesus. Now this morning, if you're on your journey and today you're thinking, well, I actually want to do something about this. I want to take a step forward and I want to receive Jesus Christ as the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. We sometimes say Saviour and Lord, same sort of idea. If that's you this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer and at the end of the prayer, you just go, me too. I want that. Amen. Whatever you want to say, but just say, me too. I'm in. I'm in. Here's the prayer. Jesus, I thank you for your extraordinary sacrifice. And today... For the first time, or the second time, or the third time, I want to make you the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. Will you come into my life and turn me around? I want to follow you. I love you. I want to follow you. 
If that's you today, just say, me too. Mm. Come Holy Spirit, let's come in this place. Heavenly Father, as we uh, spend today enjoying family, whether it's through meals or whatever it is we're doing, I pray that you would bless these wonderful people, that you might become so evident to them that they will say, my Lord and my God, that you are risen indeed. And may that truth punctuate every part of their lives with power, with love and with grace. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if, you are, if you're on the journey, if you're saying, I'm on the journey with this, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I want to invite you to one thing. On your, on your seats, you hopefully will have a card. Looks like they've got a question mark. It's a card about Alpha. And I don't know of a better experience than Alpha to help you on your journey. So you can just take the card. Everyone, just show me you've got a card. I want to make sure everyone's got the opportunity. Excellent. If you haven't got one, make sure you've got a card. And then you'll see a little funny thing in the bottom left-hand corner called a QR code. If you're not familiar with those, hopefully by now you are. I want you to get your phone and I want you to take a picture of that. Well, not take a picture of it, but I want you to log in. There's a little bit something come up on your phone and then you can actually enroll in this great course. The course will help you answer some of the questions that you have. And uh, it's a very simple course. Hour and a half, starts 1st of May, hour and a half every Monday night. 30 minutes for a free meal. Australian's favourite word, free. Free meal, then you've got 30 minutes approximately of a video and 30 minutes where you just get to chat about what you found. It's a perfect place to come and bring all your doubts, and bring your friends who don't know Jesus. It's going to be amazing. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Easter. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. May you have a safe and blessed week.